The United States is among the richest countries in the world. The US has cultural norms just as any place does, and we have expectations of etiquette. Many subscribe to what is called a social code. I say many because not everybody, but many do. The phrase money taboo or simply not discussing money is one social code that many uphold. In fact, I bet my just mentioning money makes some of you uncomfortable and you might not even be sure why. But the Bible must be preached. And today's lectionary scripture focuses on both material wealth and spiritual wealth. So here we go. Our sermon scripture today is 1 Timothy 6, 6 through 19. In the verses preceding this text, Paul warns against those who misuse God's truths. Misusing God's truth can lead to envy, dissension, slander, and imagining godliness as a means of gain. The last is particularly dangerous, viewing godliness as a means of gain. It's exactly what's used to propagate hashtag blessed culture. I don't know if y'all know what that is, but hashtag blessed. Or the idea that following Jesus and touting Christianity will produce success, happiness, a stronger family life, the perfect home, the perfect partner, the best job. Reverend Dr. Longbonds preached on this not long ago. His sermon was titled, Jesus, Not a Great Pitch Man. Jesus never promised these things. The gospel isn't at our fingertips, so we can use it as a tool to get what we want out of life. The gospel is to set our minds and our hearts on the pursuit of the eternal. As David Guzik says, we must never market the gospel as a product that will fix every life problem. If we view the gospel in this way and it fails to produce the desired outcome, it might be dropped or abandoned for the next thing that will give us what we desire. Our attention, our focus and study should be on the one who blesses us and not the blessings themselves. Paul continues, of course, there is great gain in godliness combined with contentment. This puts into perspective the importance of how we order things in our lives. Romans 12, 2 tells us, do not conform to the patterns of this world, but be transformed by the, who knows it? Somebody say it. Renewing of your mind, by the renewing of your mind. We must order things according to scripture, which is to say the spiritual, the eternal must come first. The material and the earthly must not. Don't get me wrong, contentment can be extremely difficult. We're told all the time, we need more, we deserve more, that more, bigger, better, newer, that all of those things will satiate the hunger, but they won't. It may distract us, but it will never fulfill. Godliness and contentment reorient us because we realize that we are citizens of the heavenly and that the earth ultimately is not our home. For we brought nothing into the world so that we can take nothing out of it. 
My mom reminded me of a quote this week, although I'm not sure who pinned it originally. Credit has been given both to Billy Graham and Denzel Washington, so the internet's a weird place. <laughs> I don't know who said it, but that's what it says. But she said, I never saw a U-Haul behind a hearse. Have y'all heard that before? Yeah, because we know, and scripture makes it clear that we don't take the material with us when we go. So why is so much of our focus on the earthly instead of the eternal? The root of the issue in these verses specifically lies in the desires of our hearts and what we are willing to do for money. Those who want to be rich fall into temptation for the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. And before we stop listening, Paul isn't saying that it's sinful to have wealth. That's not what he's saying. He's saying if we revere money as the source of power and devote ourselves to money instead of to God, if we worship money, if we love money, that that is sinful and destructive. Fortunately, Paul doesn't just warn Timothy what not to do. He gives Timothy instruction on what he must do as he pursues the eternal. It's good advice for all. Pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, endurance, and gentleness. Fight the good fight of the faith, Paul says. I wonder without a show of hands, how many in this room have been in a fight before? I'm looking at you and I'm wondering. <laughs> Either verbal or physical, they both take endurance. It takes a lot of endurance and some fights are worth fighting and others are not. I have two older brothers. Both are smart, funny, handsome, and they paid me to say that. <laughs> I'm joking, those things are all true about both of them. They're both wonderful men. Both are fighters in their own right as well, having extreme mental fortitude, endurance, and drive. The eldest, Stephen, has trained in martial arts for many years, having spent time in Thailand learning Muay Thai and training other forms of martial arts. I've seen him train for years and considered, what does it take to fight? What does it take to fight against something? What does it take to fight for something? What does it take to fight on behalf of something? We form an idea of how to interpret the phrase, fight the good fight of the faith. What does it take to fight? And are we guaranteed to win? I can tell you a good fighter trains. This includes strength and endurance training. It includes a healthy diet. Fighter must be shrewd concerning what they allow to nourish their minds and their bodies as they train. A fighter is always working to improve their skills and the knowledge of the sport. Training takes minutes and hours, weeks and months, years and sometimes decades to produce stamina and the possibility of a win. When we consider what it takes to fight the good fight of faith, what it takes to fight the good fight of faith, well, it requires training. We as Christians must train our minds to search for the eternal. Scripture is bursting with ways for us to orient our hearts and our minds so that we can grow closer to God and live righteous, gentle, 
loving and content lives. I love the imagery that dances as in my mind as I consider what it looks like for Christians to fight the good fight of faith with gentleness. Fight and gentleness, not always put together, but it's a powerful idea. Gentleness is to be kind and tender, mild-mannered, soft and light. Fighting the good fight of the faith is to endure and increase in stamina. Fighting the good fight of faith is to take hold of the eternal and cling to the light that is Jesus Christ. Fighting the good fight of the faith is to tenderly extend the love and forgiveness of Jesus Christ to all we encounter. Our scripture today wraps up with instruction to individuals who are in the present age rich. Again, the issue isn't having material wealth, it's a heart and a headspace that may pose an issue. Paul's instruction to Timothy is, as far as those who in the present age are rich, command them not to be haughty or to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches, but rather on God. They are to do good, to be rich in good works, generous, so that they may take hold of the life that really is life. Another one of our lectionary texts that parallels this is Luke 16. The lectionary, if, if you're not um, familiar with it, is a group of texts, Old Testament, Psalm, Epistle, and a gospel text, and it's all in the same vein. We've got an idea, and this is what we um, preach on. So Luke is one of the lectionary texts this week that goes along with the others. It's a parable about the rich man and Lazarus. Basically, there's a rich man who knows the commands of Moses and the prophets. He knew that he's supposed to care for the poor and acknowledge that his wealth is, re he's really just a steward of resources. It doesn't belong to him, it belongs to God. And yet there's a poor man named Lazarus that lays outside of this man's house. It says, while the rich man sumptuously eats, sumptuously, Eats. There is a man outside in need, covered in sores, just hoping for crumbs. In the parable, no help came from the rich man. And when both had died, Lazarus was with Abraham in heaven and the rich man in Hades being tormented. The rich man begged for help. And when none came, he asked Abraham to send word to his brothers. He had brothers at home and he wanted them to be warned. Warn them not to follow my ways of greed. Warn them not to be like me, not to make the choices I made so that they don't have to endure this torment. Abraham replied, they have Moses and the prophets. They should listen to them. He said, no, Father Abraham, but if someone goes to them from the dead, they will repent. And he said to them, said to him, if they do not listen to Moses and the prophets, neither will they be convinced even if someone rises from the dead. It begs the question, what will it take? What will it take for us to live rightly and contently? What will it take for us to set our sights on and pursue the eternal? And my intention in sharing the parable text is absolutely not to produce feelings of fear but freedom. Jesus Christ calls us to live lives that are full 
joyful, righteous, humble, godly, content, content. He calls us and he shows us. There's no guarantee that the Christian walk will be easy. We know that. Or that we will be rich or that we'll have the desires of our hearts. We know that too. But what we can have is the freedom and the peace that comes as we pursue godliness and contentment. And don't we want that? Freedom and peace? Sounds pretty good to me. We can have the stamina as we train to fight the good fight of the faith in gentleness. And we can have joy as we reach and stretch ourselves toward the eternal. Amen and God bless you all.